Welcome back to the Hot Mess to Awesomeness podcast, a show all about inspiring smart, busy women to put their happiness at the top of their to-do list. Join your host and life coach, Dion Thompson, as she chats with amazing women who have figured out how to make their happiness a priority, and more importantly, what it's really like to go from hot mess to awesomeness. And now, on with the show. Welcome everyone to the Hot Mess to Awesomeness podcast. I am your host and life coach, Dion Thompson, and I, oh, I'm feeling so chill and so nice and relaxed. Feel like I'm, I'm on the beats, just, just having a great, great day. Um, and my guest Helga is here all the way from California, and I'm seeing the beautiful sunshine come in through your windows, and I'm just like, oh, I'm feeling this big time. It's a beautiful sunny day here as well, and uh, I'm just so grateful that we have this opportunity to connect, that we have, um, we met in a, like a different circle, and then things have been happening, and of course, you know, the universe is, does some crazy things, and I feel like our lives are just kind of weaving, and yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited to have you with me today so we can chat a little bit about your story, which I've heard like snippets of, and I'm like, oh, that is seriously fascinating. I am so excited. <laughs> so welcome, Elga. Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I, um, we met in a, um, like a mastermind group for business women and, but specifically business women who are very spirit led, very heart, like heart led, heart driven um, entrepreneurs who are looking to make a personal and significant impact, yeah. which um, I, I mean, I love being in that group. And I'm, like I said, I'm very grateful that I got a chance to meet you. And I instantly became intrigued by um, what you do. You, uh, so Helga is an author. And actually, let me just share with you, uh, share with the audience a little bit about, um, about you before we keep rolling. So Helga is a teacher and an author, a storyteller, circle leader, busy working through her traumas so she can reclaim her hippie, homesteading, new age, pot growing, theater loving childhood ideals. Yeah, we're going to get into all of that. Um, her favorite place is to be curled up on a comfy couch with a hot cup of tea, enjoying the view of nature in all her glory, daydreaming about her next bit of writing. So you're writing and you have four books now, correct? Yeah. Yes. And they are themed, um, which I'm super excited about because I remember that first time you had mentioned um, about sort of uncovering and releasing and helping to release to the world sort of the nature of, of fairy tales and, and how they were originally constructed and the, the messaging and the power behind them specifically for women. And um, I, you know, I think it was, you'd said Sleeping Beauty originated through the story of women's cycles. And I'm like, shut the front door. I need to know these things. I'm, I'm very excited. So, so like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by your passions for um, all that love, that history and that mythology, and then how you've woven it into your work um, and brought in your heritage. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to share it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so 
tell us a little bit. So you are you are an author. You have four books out, and I'm I'm going to link to those so that um, everybody who's interested um, can get your their hands on them. I will be I'm actually going to be purchasing mine very soon um, because I want to read all four kind of like back to back. I'm pretty pumped yeah. about that. Um, but tell me a little bit about what brought you to the space because I know you are also a teacher, and um, and that your background is a little bit non-traditional um and so what 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 brought you here to this place yeah um I think I just I've always loved writing but um and I would write all the time as a kid I wrote in diaries and I wrote silly little you know poems and stuff all over the house my mom remembers that for years they had a you know a silly little poem I'd written the rhymes take time and I had taped it to the clock <laughs> So That's I always awesome. loved writing, but, uh, and I grew up in the theater. My dad was an actor and my mom is still a dancer. Um, and I was very lucky. I grew up in, mostly in my mom's dance troupe. My parents were separated um, and it was very inclusive. I was early on surrounded by people of all colors, people of all um, preferences and needs of, of partners and, and it was just normal, you know, all that stuff was just, that was my life and I loved that. Um, but we were very poor. I learned somewhere at a young age that that uh, saying the starving artist. Mm. And I was, you know, as I got older into my tweens and 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 I also grew up in a very uh, hippie pot growing community. We were <laughs> outlaws, um, literally. And, um, and in a code of silence, we didn't talk about that stuff. Um, at school, we didn't talk about it with each other as kids because we didn't know who did and who who was actually you know children of of uh, cops and stuff. So it was it was that part was very frightening, and I think I already I think I was born to ha with anxiety. That was just like my parent um, my is this in my ancestry? My dad had it, you know. But I think it was exasperated, and many of my generation who grew up through this outlaw lifestyle were. Um, have talked about having PTSD and, you know, dealing with it. Helicopters, I couldn't hear a helicopter for many years in my twenties without just panicking inside. That's a whole story in itself. <laughs> um, because it, if you look up campaign against marijuana planting, that was, they sent in military helicopters with men with, with what I would call an AK-47, but I don't know if that's technically what they had. Right. Um, yeah, it was very terrifying. So I was poor and an outlaw <laughs> and scared. And, um, and, and I, so, and living this like artist, but living lifestyle. a beautiful life on the right. mountain and nature, you know, it was these, these juxtapositions that were hard for me to deal with. And, um, but I loved storytelling and we had long, you know, it was an hour long in the car to get to town from my house. And it was, with the bus, it was often two hours from the house to the bus stop. And then by the time we got to my junior high and high school. So I learned to daydream and wrote many stories in my head um, at a young age. And, um, but I didn't see that as a viable option. It literally never crossed my mind to go and study the arts at college. I actually went to college to study uh, <laughs> aerospace engineering because I'd taken a a career test and I had read Carl Sagan and stuff in, in high school and I loved it. So, and I, I had actually tested as being someone who should go be an aerospace engineer. Okay. But um, I didn't like the pressures of math and <laughs> science. And, and, and then something, you know, happened in my um, freshman 
well, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college, maybe it was my sophomore and junior. Anyways, I had to declare my major. And right before that, in the summer, uh, a boy, a man, a young man, he was, he was just shy of his 21st birthday, was shot and killed over pot. Just, you know, and I grew up believing it's a medicine, knowing it's a medicine. I mean, it's just ludicrous. You know, you make something illegal and people want it more and it becomes dangerous and it becomes a problem. And, um, and so I thought maybe it was our childhood. I mean, it just something in that was a catalyst where I decided I would be a, a child development expert and I would fix things through being a teacher. And, um, but, but the storytelling still played a big part because when I was in the dorms my freshman year and, um, and then in, in subsequent houses with dorm mates after that, I was at first very shy and very embarrassed to admit my childhood. You know, they all, and I know this for a fact now, many of them, the ones I became close with came from, you know, white suburbia households, um, very, very leave it to beaver or very, you know, it's our, what would be ours, um, Kirk Cameron, whatever that show was. I loved it. Growing Pains. Thank you. I'm like, I know that's, yeah. So, you know, I was embarrassed. I thought they would, you know, not like me, but I was thinking about what made me start telling them my childhood stories, I think was someone complained about the bathroom because on each floor was a giant bathroom with several toilets, stalls, and right. several shower stalls. And I just blurted out, God, I love it. I can turn on a light switch and I can, I can take a hot shower and, and come out into a warm room. And they just looked at me like, what are you talking about? And so I started telling them about having to get up in the dark, which just was part of living so far from school. And either my dad's turning on the generator, which was a whole thing and very, a good five minute walk from the house and a little scary. Um, <laughs> And or at my mom's light the kerosene lantern and you know use the outdoor loo, and <laughs> and take a shower in the greenhouse. And at my mom she would get up and light a fire. And my dad was he worked nights so he wouldn't. And it was very cold at his you know one winter it was colder outside than it, or colder inside our house than it was outside. And <laughs> and you know he did eventually get me a kerosene heater, but it was just like nothing was easy. I mean, in hindsight, I know I was lucky to have a house and I was lucky to be in the mountains and all that. But, um, but telling those stories to, to my, my dorm mates and just seeing that they were genuinely interested. This was not something that they had ever considered, you know, as a possibility. So I learned young that storytelling was a gateway into um, opening up into making friends. And so that was really my first falling in love with storytelling. I love that. And, and so in those, in that moment in particular, when you started to allow that to unfold, was it the, I mean, I know what residence life is like as well. It's like time is stops and fast forwards in a, in a heartbeat. And I used to call it res time where a day with someone might as well be a week because you're just so entrenched in each other's lives. You're literally living and breathing and existing together. Um, was there a sense of safety there that allowed you to, I say blurt out, but to, to allow that to unpack? Yeah, I mean, I tend to do this in any situation. I, you know, it takes me, if I have a new job, so in this dorm, it was, I see that it was normal that with, for me within the first, you know, it took me, 
I think it was probably November before I opened up to them. So it took me watching them mm-hmm. and plus just coming from a world of secrecy. Um, I don't think I opened up to them about the growing pot until later. And when one of them admitted they'd never smoked and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was really young when I first tried it, but um, <laughs> then that's, that's not necessarily the right thing, but I actually wasn't a smoker either. I mean, that's always sort of fascinated people who hear my story, but I just never was. I didn't like it. And, it tired. <laughs> and, you know, and that's the, you know, everybody's experience is different, but really that the, some of these preconceived ideas. And of course the entire world that you were living in was so very cut off intentionally and, and necessarily from from the world. Um, you had mentioned to me in, in a conversation once that um, y- when you had gotten old enough and, you know, yes, going into, um, into college, uh, but you had like a deep desire for like that, the picket fence and the, the house with, you know, the door, the wind, like the, all that. Um, when you stepped into that life, what was that like, that experience of you had kind of wanted it for a long time and, and maybe I don't want to put words out there, but maybe coveted it a little bit, like seeing people have it and yeah. wanting it. Um, what was it like when you're like, okay, I'm here now. This is a thing. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> um, I mean, so my freshman year in high school, um, I left my mom's home. Um, I had a stepdad who drank a lot and while I was young, he was wonderful. And while, when I was like older, he wasn't so wonderful. Um, I have a lot of good memories of him and I try to hold on to that. But living with him was difficult. And I had a dad who loved me very much, but I didn't realize he had depression. And mm. that was his phase of depression was mine and my brother's teenagers. And it was pretty heavy, um, almost neglectful, which, you know, he's passed away. And of course, you know, I don't want to speak ill, but he, he was going through something and he needed help and he was trying. I mean, I've read all his journals <laughs> since he died. He was definitely working on it. And I think that was a good lesson for me in my own life to have witnessed that. But, um, but it was hard to live in his home. I mean, really, I was 14 and he got a telephone and my mother didn't have one. So, you know, that was the catalyst. Like, I'm going to go have some, a phone because, you know, before that I'd been speaking to my closest neighbor friend that was there's only one other girl up there on the cb wow (laughs) so you know yeah yes my brother is accurate in saying he just moved into dad's house because of the phone well that was the huge push but i moved out almost immediately and moved in with my when i'm at that time my best friend she lived Mm. in town she had a you know a normal house um which um i just i've I got to say it, I think, to his, her mom, at least, before she, both her parents have since passed away. Um, but I just was so grateful that I got to see a mom and a dad. I got to live in the Growing Pains house for a little while. Mm. And, um, and then I got to be kicked out because <laughs> I started seeing my, my hippie friends getting to do their thing. Right. And it was a lot of freedom. And I wanted that course 15. I wanted, you know, I've, I've, been, I've stayed with them almost a year. My mom would give them money and she'd stop by and I'd go home and I'd, you know, but I loved being, you know, so nice. You'd get up at, you know, after the light <laughs> to go to school right? And on electricity and stuff. Right. But I still, like, by the time I'd grown up and gone to college, I knew that's what I wanted. And in hindsight, that's what I wanted more than anything in the world was just a home that felt cozy which my mom was good about that but um 
but easy too, you know, with mm. water and everything and with electricity and all that good stuff. So, um, and that happened young. And so, you know, careful what you wish for, because I was 22 and pregnant and then and married. And then at 25, my husband, I was pregnant with my second one and my husband's mom, um, well, her husband had passed away and she said he could have a little inheritance early if, you know, she, if he wanted a down payment and we, oh my gosh, she made, she made a whole world of difference because literally the next year, San Diego blew up. Oh, Finan you know, financially, the house. Yeah, no, not literally. Yeah. It's still there. <laughs> literally, like, yeah. Crazy. And so we got lucky. We got very lucky. And I had told him, if you want me to stay in the city, because to me, San Diego was a city. <laughs> now I see it's not quite a city. I've been to Tokyo and London and <laughs> work since. But, um, and we got so blessed. We found a house on a canyon. So I still had kind of this country feel. I can see other houses, but, and that's different, but um, I can sit and watch the animals. So that part was lovely. But I think because I got that, I got kind of what I wanted. I, I started realizing what I had valued in my childhood and had been kind of ignoring because I was kind of frustrated because I didn't want to live that way. And so I started seeking other ways to, to be, to be able to hold on to the weirdness of my childhood and also have my normal, you know, and I'm doing air quotes that no one can see, but right. because I know these words are very general words, but, and they're very subjective, but so, so I found the Waldorf schools, which is um to me it was was what I needed it was just you know it's got a spiritual side that the teachers learn about um parents can teach their kids it if they want but that's not what's taught in the schools and then there's and that's where I, I found out that storytelling could be a career Ooh. and so I you know I studied I already had my child development degree and I wanted my kids to go there so I started helping in the kindergartens and I started studying and eventually got my credential and got a position in a public Waldorf charter school and taught there for six or seven years, um, telling stories and having circle. And I learned through the parents that they, some of them, I went to a ballet with a couple of moms and to watch their daughters. And it was actually an original version of um, Beauty and the Beast. And they didn't recognize it because it wasn't the Disney story. Right. And it kind of clicked to my head, I was like, oh, people don't know these stories. You know, they don't know them. And, and so this isn't just for kids. And I picked up a book during my studies called The Wisdom of Fairy Tales. It was a little dense. It was, there's, and, and I'm not huge on dense books. <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, I read it and I that was fascinated by it, but it was a lot for me to take in. But that just kind of got my wheels turning. And then that led me to my wanting to write. That I I love the the flow of that and and at such a a young age to have certain opportunities show up so that you could I want to say fall into but really uncover uh, something that you are so deeply passionate about now about helping people to get a a better understanding of the tales that have been told for millennia it feels like and and the truths that underlie humanity as a whole. Um, so tell me a little bit about, um, so there are two pieces that I'm really fascinated by and, and I, and I get to be a part of in, in some ways is you've taken 
up the pen as it were and and authored your four books so I definitely want to hear about that and and what those center around and then your work creating now circles outside of the school for adults and and children alike to help educate people about the power of of these let's say universal but these these stories that have been carried through time so tell us about both of those pieces and how they sort of unfolded and maybe how they weave together. And I, I just, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I picked up a book in it. It said, do you want to write a novel or do you want to have written a novel? And for the, uh, the, at first I was like, oh, I think I just want to have written it. You know, I daydream about Oprah and stuff <laughs> wanting to interview me. And then right. after a few months, it sit, sat with me and I was like, I want to write one. I've never, I'm going to write a novel. I'm going to do it. So I, that was about 2011. I started writing when Thanksgiving, we were on a vacation and I just sat and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and this story started to pour out about a boy, a girl and his, her brothers, really her story and a magic necklace. And that was kind of it, but I started, I don't know what, I don't actually don't know specifically what led me to to choose Celtic tales other than I know that I've always loved the lore of Celtic fairies and fairy tales and my dad played the bagpipes so growing up they would you know I'd wake up here and there and hear it bouncing off the mountains it was beautiful and then it's probably the only on his side it's the the closest we're we're like my both sides of my family other than the great-grandmother I'm named after came to the United, or came to the Americas, you know, in 1600, so, and made their path. So, you know, a lot of our original culture has been a little bit lost, but, but that, you know, we, we always keyed into Ireland um, and Scotland and that through my, through my dad and some of his parents. And so I think that was mostly it. And also I would talk to him about it. And somehow I just decided on, right, that I was going to write about a magic bagpipes. And after my dad died, so I wrote this, so I started writing the story and then I took the artist's way. I'll get back to the other thing. Um, <laughs> I started, I took the artist's way because that was like realizing that I had this issue that thinking I couldn't make any money off being an artist. And, um, and that, you know, I could, I was at that point, I was like, well, I can at least still be an artist. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to worry about the money part because I have this other job. I did that and at the end I had a what I thought was a novel and I just I did, was like okay I'm gonna go take a novel writing class so I took a one I signed up for a one-year certification and learned I knew nothing <laughs> I was not a critical reader um, I mean I'd always been in high classes and stuff in high school and stuff but I was not a critical reader so so I learned a lot and I wrote my book and I I loved I just loved finding these fairy tales that su supported my story. So, so my dad had passed away and um, I had inherited a bunch of his Celtic or Scottish, mostly Scottish books based about bagpipes. And I had, there was this giant book and I'd had it for over a year and I opened it up and out fell a little pamphlet with like six different versions of why the, the McCrimmons had a magic bagpipe. I had no idea there really was any, <laughs> anything out there about a magic bagpipe. So that kept happening. And that has, that always happens with my stories is that what I need almost falls into my lap, what I need to know. And little things like, without giving away stories, but 
I, I made decisions in the first book. I mean, I, I'm kind of like an in-between. I, I outline, but it's a vague outline. It's just to keep me on track because I learned that I needed that. <laughs> well, to left field. And so I, I, I had my outline, but I didn't really know specifically everything that was going to happen by the end. I had the ending. I knew I wanted it to be this sort of world-inclusive ending. So in the first book, I made a decision that I had no idea where it was going to go. I had no idea where that was going to go, but I just, it's the only time I'm really good at listening to my intuition is when I write. Mm. I'm an intuitive writer. They learned there's actually like people who call it that. And I left it in there. And then the second book I did something and my, one of my most beloved editors, she said, why are you doing this? It doesn't, why? And I said, I just know it's got to go. It's going to go. And it totally made, it was so important. It was like this important. So all those pieces added up to what it needed to be. So I just really, I guess there's just some sort of spiritual release in reading, in writing because I, I do it intuitively. I'm not great at listening to my intuition in real life. <laughs> um, it's it, that, but it, and I'm learning and I appreciate it, but I just have a hard time with it. But when I write, I just write intuitively and I love all the puzzle pieces, you know, as they fall into place. And I love that. <laughs> I love that, um, that the artist way was part of the sort of impetus because of course, um, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, I've brought up Julia Cameron a fair few times. And, and I, I do love that how she models and, and allows the writer to just, just be, and everything is okay. And you just show up to it and it is what it is. And it, it almost like gives you permission to do that intuitive work. And I too feel like writing can, it, it, it's a, it flows and it really is like, like tapping into you're knowing and bypassing yeah. all that conscious crap that gets in the way, all the gobbledygook yeah. and, and, um, and so I think that that's fantastic. And I'd love that you allowed the pieces that just felt necessary to, to just be, have you seen any, now that you've done this now four times, have you seen any of that, pattern show up in other areas of your life so you'd said you know you weren't necessarily the best yeah. at listening to yourself before but have you felt that grow in the non-writing time yeah no it's definitely grown so so part of my journey is that in I started getting restless I'm it's partly related to my dad dying and having you know dealing with the guilt and and the and I hadn't worked through a lot of stuff yet with him and feeling guilty, but also it had to do with a restlessness of being in the classroom. And while well, I think kindergarten in general, you do, you do the same things every year. You can change the stories, you can change, but kids need rhythm and routine. That's what is for early childhood. And I was, I was growing and I needed, I needed something a little bit less predictable, I think. And mm -hmm. so I moved into a position of, of being a homeschool advisor and it was like, oh, I was so excited. And then there were that. So in fall of 2018, there were budget cuts and I was dealing with a lot of emotional issues and one of us had to go. So I went partly by choice, partly the big part by choice, partly not. I would have probably liked to have finished the year and then gone or something. I don't know. But it was it was good. 
I mean, it was good that, that I did follow through and make that choice and I left, but then it kind of sunk me into a depression, which I realized that I'd gone through with, with, with my son when he was born because, and I had thought it was postpartum and I think it is definitely related. I read Brooke Shields, Down Came the Rain and just bawled. I mean, that mm. book is, I was like, oh, okay. But at the same time, I'm realizing what happens with me is if I don't have rhythm and routine, my preferred spot on the couch can be not a healthy thing. Right. <laughs> Right. Like, so yes. like I actually have a thing where I get up in the morning and I get dressed. I have my shoes on right now, even though I don't have to have them on because it makes me feel alive and awake and happy. Like it's just mm. so, so I do that. So I left, so I left that position and I was at home and the first few months I just did jewelry and kind of like, I didn't really know how to be home because I hadn't been a stay at home mom. I had, I got to be for a few years when the kids were little but I felt lost and I had that, you know, I knew I needed to go back to work. Just like, isn't that what you're supposed to do? But then I started discovering that you could take classes online. <laughs> and I first, my first group of classes were, um, I took a lot of Sharon Blackie's classes. She's known for writing, um, if women rose rooted and it's about, you know, and she was inspired by uh, women who run with the wolves. So it is all, that's all a domino effect. And so I took a lot of her fairy tale classes, Celtic fairy tale classes to really make sure my books were good and on track. And then I, I discovered a women's circle training. And that's where um, I met Rose and Roxanne and then through them have met you. But I had taken circles with Shakti Rising when my kids were little and it was very rare I could take a class because um, we didn't have a lot of money back then because I was trying to stay at home and all that and so I knew I wanted to take this class these these training but I didn't know I want I wasn't doing it to be a women's circle leader I'd never crossed my mind but the teacher in me had you know it, it fit so I took these trainings and that was intuitive because I literally got the email I looked at it and I signed up no thinking, just doing. Yep. Yeah. And I usually think I do often make my best decisions when I don't overthink it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not always, but often. Um, so that was, I think, my first real life intuitive hit of like, you need to do this. This is going to get you through this funk and it's going to help you. And so I did that. And then I, um, then I knew I needed a job that got me going in the morning. So I went and worked part-time at the private Waldorf school, which was it's so like, nice to be an assistant teacher after you've been a teacher because you don't, you can just kind of relax. Um, <laughs> and then, um, and then COVID hit in March and, and I'd already actually started doing the girls training for a journey of a young woman. So I have all these, you know, pieces and then I've got all my storytelling training through Waldorf and then I've got all my writing training. And so that's what I'm working on is, and I'm, right now I'm offering the women's um, storytelling circles because I just feel like people don't realize how much wisdom are in these fairy tales and in these myths. And um, because book four, which I'm so excited to be bringing to the world and totally nervous because I, I call it my four book degree. Because I am, because I'm self-publishing, I've, so I've learned about cover design, I've learned about marketing, I've learned about writing the, the, you know, all the beginning and ending stuff. And I, 
I'm influenced by what the what happens in the world. And of course, over these last couple of years, we, me being very white, I'm realizing that I didn't know anything that was going on currently with people of color. I just, partly it's just me, I'm a very clueless person. I get sucked into my own world. But I realize, and then, then the buzzword in the writing community is to write more inclusively. And, but also write what you know, cause it's not your story. So, so it's, you know, I'm, so I took the leap um, because it fit what I had already decided was gonna be, you know, the way my story went was that it was going to be uh, a world inclusive story, ultimately, not just a Celtic journey. And so I have written in these characters that I just love. I'm just nervous as all get out that I've not done them justice, but I've tried to do the research and I've tried to make them real people and I've tried to not make them stereotypical. So I've tr I feel like I've at least tried to hit all the right buttons and now I just have to kind of let my, I have, I have it out to my readers, my beta readers and my editors. And so far no one said I've done anything wrong and <laughs> so I'm taking that leap. And so I'm so excited to, to share it with the world because it's a, ultimately the whole four book series is a, um, is a man versus, or woman and man versus nature story and the fairies are pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And that very well could be what's happening right now. Anyway, but we'll just leave that one there. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm very excited to read all of those pieces and, and I know, and we have chatted about how I'm, I'm very curious about the circles that you host in relation to understanding the stories of, of, of the world, of these fables, the fairy tales, that ring of truth. And, and I'm so glad that you took the training. And I love that how you pulled the pieces of you through your Waldorf training and circle training and, and uh, novel writing training or writing training yeah. and, and now create these spaces for not only adults, but for children as well. And so I was telling you before we jumped on, on the call that my daughter is just captivated by a series right now that is all about not fully, uh, you know, pulling the curtains back on the Disney versions of fairy tales, but it is looking more at the, the, the truer versions or the, the earlier versions and and she's really intrigued and is really excited about the history and about the meaning and the connections to her as a person so i know that connecting with you and being able to be a part of those communities is going to be so valuable for her and i and and to sort of weave in story and growth and connection and empowerment and all those those beautiful things what would you say has been sort of maybe some of the deeper influences from your childhood in that it's not necessarily, it doesn't can currently match the, the, the life that you're living, but how does that history for you weave into your writing and the work that you're doing now? I think two things really come to mind. My mom is not, she's a dancer and a choreographer, but she's really a writer. And she, right when I was 
going off to college, she wrote uh, Persephone's Quest, which was all about the fairy, the myth of Persephone. So I, you know, I heard a lot of her talking about that. So that I think was a huge influence. And then when my son was born, so a few weeks, so five years later or whatever, she wrote a, more, kind of a, a medieval Christmassy story, but based on Arthur and the Holy Grail and everything. So my mom and I are very aligned in our love of, of all things mythical and, and mystical and spiritual. And so, so she's been a huge influence. And my dad too, only he, I think he died, you know, really before I, I, we, I just jumped into it. So, you know, so those things, though, their theater life uh, definitely influenced my love of theater and, and writing, you know, it's all just different modes of different outlets for the same thing, which is telling a story. Mm -hmm. And then just growing up out in those mountains, um, I, you know, I've grown to appreciate my parents' choice of, of poverty, basically, because um, they'd read Yogananda, which I haven't read yet, partly because I don't know what I'm going to get out of it. And I, it's just like, I don't know, there may, it's just this last piece of my dad that I don't know, and I am savoring it. But my mom, you know, has explained very clearly that that was why they both just couldn't step into making a lot of money because they saw it as, as not being in alignment with their spirituality. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'm currently taking classes through Shakti Rising to learn how I can be in alignment and also, you know, make money because money is energy and, and, and it doesn't have to be bad energy. And I am impressed with how, especially my mom, I think my dad too, but I just sit closer with my mom, that her carbon footprint is tiny. Mm. If she looks at her entire life, it is tiny. Right. And I really am impressed by that. And I still struggle with that. You know, she lives in a teeny tiny house and it's all trendy now, right? <laughs> but hers is more, you know, rudimentary. And of course she's out there chainsawing firewood and stuff. <laughs> And so those things, you know, impress me and scare me. Um, I'm not as I'm not quite as tough a person as as either of my parents were, in in that way, in that rugged woodsman way. But it, I mean, my love of nature is most definitely because I was blessed with a childhood on a mountainside. Um, do you, do you, would you say that that is the you know, if you were to correlate, not even having read the story, but knowing that the fairies are angry at the world for doing what it did, really your love and your knowledge of the power of nature and really looking at that, that love and pride that you have for your mom and, and what she has done, even though at a time you may have been like, why are you doing this? Or not doing what these other people are doing, right. um, but now able to sort of see the gifts in, 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 in both ways of living. Um, and I love that you potentially are funneling that into works of art that can then share and, and, and put that message out into the world. Yeah. I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that this, this Celtic magic series is, is, a, it's all the things, it's all the things that I've lived and dealt with and loved filtered into this book. It's, you know, there's no one character that's, me there's an essence of me and everything and there's essences of people I know in you know a lot of the characters but it's 
it, they're their own people too. And it is, it's that, I mean, I even, you know, right away, I fling these two city, no, they're from San Diego, city kids into the mountains and they don't get to have a telephone because there's no Wi-Fi, there's no dad, <laughs> right? You know, I just, right away, I, I, I work through that and I bring that out because it, it is interesting, I think. And that's sort of fascinating me about kids nowadays or any kids it, it, growing up in the city might not recognize um, this other way of life. And when you separate from your phone, when you separate from the electricity, you automatically connect more with nature because for me, I, I just cannot, it's really, I wake up with the dawn and I go to sleep with the night because I was so, you know, the lighting was so poor. <laughs> when it was dark that it you know it wasn't as it didn't influence my brain as much as what I think maybe that's just me I'm sure other kids with a similar childhood they'd be like that's just her <laughs> well I I mean we each have our own experiences and um and because that was your experience of course then that then translates into the story have any of your feelings or experiences or those moments you had described earlier in the conversation about being an outlaw um, has that made its way into your writing or the energy of that into the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I not so much in this story, this series that I can think of. I've written, I've written other books that I haven't figured out if I'm going to self-publish or if I'm going to go the, try to go the regular route. Or, But I've actually written a children's story that, well, I don't know about the outlaw aspect of it, just the homesteading, hippie homesteading, you know, my experience of, you know, can, I already knew that water came from a spring. I knew it didn't just come magically out of pipes, you know, and so I've written a whole story about a little girl with anxiety and this amazing grandmother. And she goes on all these little journeys with her to, to learn about basically my hippie homesteading childhood. I mean, that story is very much, the characters are not me or anything, but the, but the story is mm. is the things I experienced, like getting milk from the lady across the valley from her cow and making butter out of the cream, you know, little things like that. Do you, in relation to that story and that, that idea of having anxiety and then seeking out history to then <laughs> share nature, do you feel that you'd said you were born anxious? Do you feel like the upbringing that you had was allowed you to keep that anxiety in check like was it what was the life that you were living although you know I, I recognize you were seeking still being able to see out the other world but do you are, are those the methodologies you turn to now is it the reconnection to those teachings and to that way of life that keep you calm yeah I mean I just being in nature is supposed to it, it's been documented as one of the ways to help people with anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that maybe it would have been worse if I hadn't been living in the mountains, you know, because I would go, I was that kid who would go sit for hours looking out at nature, watching the birds or take a walk in the woods and just be there. I loved it. So I think that I was soothing myself, not knowing that, you know, I was soothing myself. And um, so, yeah, I still do that. If I'm having an anxious day, I will just go sit on my deck and I'll just stare at the canyon and start noticing the birds, start noticing the sunshine or whatever. And also just, you know, my mom was doing yoga when I was young and so I, and, and meditation and, all, and both my parents became hypnotherapists when I was 
in my tweens. <laughs> so all those little things that are now, I just call them trendy because that they, but they're also more than trendy. I mean, that's, that's, right. they feel trendy because they're all over the place, but they're also, they're popping up all over the place, but they're also um, just these really deep values that I think are so helpful, you know, just settling ourselves. I mean, they teach forms of meditation to children with anxiety now, which, mm. yeah. I, I love like, that. I love that you're taking your experiences and then your love of mythology and, and history and, and the mystical and creating stories for the next generation. So your books are written for young adults, correct? Is that, are they, I've, I've read and I've heard that I'm going to love it anyway, which I'm very excited about, but like who, who is it that you're speaking to originally and and because I, I, I mean, if it speaks to all of us, that's fantastic. Is it more about the age or is it potentially about where someone is in life and open to receiving that kind of story? It's probably more about where someone is in their life. One of the things that I love that someone pointed out in my books, and I didn't do it on purpose, but I did it intuitively. Exactly. <laughs> it's a multi-generational story. Yes, my main character and the main child, the main children I follow, they're all around 15. Mm -hmm. Her younger brother is 12 and her, and her, but her cousins are, you know, they're all, they're all around 15. So technically it's young adult, okay. but um, my writing style is more tween. I'm not a very sophisticated writer. It's, I'm told I have beautiful descriptions and story, but it's, I'm just not super wordy, like Tolkien, you know, would be yeah. <laughs> one end of the spectrum and I'm way down at the other end. And that's, I'm totally own that. But because I think parents, some of the parents in my classroom whose kids were older and they knew their children's readings, they read my books first and then they thought, you yeah, know, this is fine. So they let kids, you know, so kids as young as nine have read my books mm. and been totally into it. Um, I've, I've had some parents say, well, yeah, my nine-year-old, they're not ready for it. And that's, so that's a gray area and that's fully like parents decide for yourself. Right. But then I've had, you know, all these women in their seventies and some men read my books and tell me they absolutely love it. Mm. So I think it's because I bring, you know, in so many books, so many YA books or tween books, the parents disappear, the adults right. disappear. Yep. This book, in my books, they don't disappear. I mean, they're not always on the page and they're not who I'm following, but it's, it's, they're all part of this. They're all mm. part of this story because that's, to me, that's the reality. I mean, you know, teenagers try to make their parents disappear. <laughs> they don't, you know, so, and so I, and I bring in, you know, the mother, you know, deals with depression and that I bring that in because that's, a reality for a lot of kids. I yeah. think. Would you um, would you say that that continuous uh, reconnection to the generations mirrors a bit? You know, I'm thinking about you being away from home and living with another family, and then you know, as a teen, and having the the maintaining your own connections while trying to find yourself at the same time. Do you think there's some some mirroring going on there? Oh, I'm definitely, I'm sure of it. Um, I mean, I, I knew, I noticed as a teenager living with my friend that I really appreciated my mom stopping by and seeing how I was, mm. you know, like that, 
meant the world to me, even though I couldn't really articulate it to her. I, you know, didn't consciously say, Hey mom, so, so glad you're here, you know. Right. But I was, but it was, it was so important that she kept that connection. Um and it was more in hindsight that I realized it, but I, it, it was so good. And so, yeah, I just think that that's, that that is a reality that kids, and that's partly also in hindsight, because I have this child development background and I've studied yeah. you know, all these ages. I know <laughs> that the best parenting is you just, when your kids say, leave you alone, leave me alone. You don't really leave them alone. You get right. mistakes, but you don't, right. you don't really leave them alone. So <laughs> So yeah, I guess a lot of that all came out in this, these books. And so, yeah, and my hope is, I guess you asked me if who I was speaking to, and I'm really, I think, speaking to all generations, aiming at what is always the hope of every, you know, every era is the new, ki- the new kids on the block, the generation that's growing up and they're going to make better decisions than us because right. they have to. Right. But really... I'm speaking to all generations because we all will benefit if we shift to a connection with nature and to a connection with community and the connection to story. (laughs) Absolutely. That is brilliantly said. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Helga, thank you for dropping in as it were and, and sharing those aspects of your story and letting us walk with you through that journey. And I'm so excited to get my hands on all four of these books for myself and for my daughters. I I know my oldest is nine and she she definitely will be the one who's going to read these books. And, um, and I'm kind of excited to do it together. I think that's going to be pretty powerful. I too believe deeply in um, in community and how valuable that is in incorporating multiple generations and, and multiple voices and continuing to tell and retell and relive our stories. Um, not only does it give us information, but it really helps us to figure out who we are and who we're choosing to be moving forward. And so I'm so grateful that you are doing this work and that you are sharing your wisdom from all the facets of your life in your writing and in your circles. And uh, I look forward to all the good things that we have going on together and our next gathering for the women who run with the wolves. Um, that uh, book discussion group is, um, is brilliant and powerful. And I, I'm going to have links for everything that you do that anybody who's interested in coming to connect and um, learning more about how powerful stories are and how empowering they can be and you, what you can walk away with just from having kind of experience them. So, so thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Thank you very much. And thank you everybody for listening. And I really look forward to seeing you in the busy woman being awesome club Facebook group where we can continue this conversation and have a lot of fun um, and really keep all the stories alive. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. Join Dion again next week to learn more about what you can do to go from hot mess to awesomeness.